The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. All right, so this morning, I'm going to have you do a little activity with me. Don't worry, it's not going to be that strenuous. However, for you 20, 30, 40-somethings, I don't know, uh, whatever age, it's going to require that you actually have a real Bible and, and not like the application on your cell phone. So no cell phones, okay? Actually touch a Bible with real pages. Here we go. So when you open up your Bibles, if you brought them, or if you have the ones that we provide, I want you to do this with me. Okay, so look, um, look at it on the outside. Make your best guess. Make your best guess as to where the middle of the Bible is. And then when you guess, open it up and figure out where you land. Okay? Where'd you land? Boy, some of you are really bad at eyeballing. I heard Ecclesiastes. (laughs) Did somebody say Esther too? Isaiah? Okay, well, ow, almost dropped my, I got so excited I messed up my clip. Can you still hear me? All right, it's in my pocket, so hopefully you'll still be able to hear me. Um, So when you open up, generally, depending on the version of the Bible you have, generally you open up to the, the book of? Oh, that's good. Some of you are afraid to say you were in Psalms. No, the answer is Psalms. Yeah, so generally when you open up to the middle of the Bible, it's Psalms. And so if you're in and around that area, it can be argued that the kind of center of the Bible, the middle point of the Bible, is Psalm 118. So if you're around that area, why don't you go to Psalm 118? And even more so, actually like the midpoint of the Bible is Psalm 118, verse 8. So if you find that, maybe we can read that together. Psalm 118, Verse 8, and, and they make their calculations by, like, there's, first of all, there's not chapters in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, the Greek, but back in the day, in the middle centuries there, or the 16th century, uh, I think that's, or 17th century, where they put chapters and verses, but like 594 chapters before this middle section, 594 after, and so we land in Psalm 118, verse 8, and what does it say? Say it uh, with me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Pretty good words, huh? For the middle point of the Bible. But here's something interesting about Psalms. Maybe you didn't know this. Psalms were written over a thousand-year period, approximately a thousand-year period. From the lifetime of Moses, he writes Psalm 90, 1,400 years before Jesus, all the way through the fall of, of Jerusalem, 586 B.C. to Jeremiah's time, which is, you know, 500-something years before Jesus. Psalm 74 and 79 kind of describe that. But mostly the Psalms are written um, in the lifetime of King David and King Solomon. And so these past three weeks, we've been talking about a, a big-time biblical figure named David. And I want to talk to, him, uh, talk to you today not so much about he was this awesome king, which he was. He established Jerusalem, reigned for 40 years. Not that he was a giant slayer. Not that he was a shepherd, but he was a songwriter. Because psalms, essentially, that's what they are. They're songs. And so here's my question to you. Out of the 150 psalms in this Bible, how many of them were written by David? How many of them were written? Now, maybe you think David wrote all the psalms. He didn't. 
In fact, here's another fact for you. So the book of Psalms has the most authors in any book of the Bible. You have men like Asaph, Heman, Solomon, David's son, the sons of Korah. All those are outlined, like there's examples of them. If you go to Psalm 127 or Psalm 88, there's kind of like, this is a psalm of. And of course, many of them were a psalm of David. And now you're probably looking at your message outline and you're thinking, huh, Pastor Tony actually has answers. You know, because I'm the guy that doesn't put the answers in. You know, Pastor Paul has nothing. And then Pastor Joe and RJ, they have, like, all these lines. You know, and I'm trying to be different. And I just kind of put these, like, chunks. But, to, you know, this week I decided to be different. Um, so what does it say about how many Psalms of David? 73. 73. And really, those are ones that can be directly attributed to him. But then some are well, we can tell by the way it's written, you know, this is a psalm of David, and it's, it's like the biblical scholar's best guess. Fifty of the psalms are anonymous. And you know the familiar ones from David, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Or, in, or Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are familiar to us. And one of my favorite is actually I use it as a prayer before I preach. Like when the song's playing, I pray this for not only myself, but for the pastors that come up to speak from Psalm 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer, great psalms of David. And you can tell the psalms are songs because they use these words like 70 times, this word selah, you see it in there. What is selah? You know, we still don't know. We don't know what that is. Some say it's a musical pause. Then there's words like masculine and midcom. So you see that these psalms are songs with music and lyrics, and they express a heart that's devoted to God, especially David's psalms. You heard Pastor RJ talk about he's a, David is a man after God's, own, after God's own heart. He's seeking God through all the failures in his life, but through all the successes in his life. And you think about the Psalms. They're written as a shepherd boy. He's writing these Psalms to calm down this crazy King Saul, right? And then, and then also this nation reads all these Psalms, and they're guided by the words of David. And can you think about through the whole Christian church, can you think about uh, just how many songs and hymns were written based on the Psalms? I mean, every time we sing songs in church, a lot of them are based on the words of the Psalms. It's amazing, these Psalms of David, what they do. They communicate a full range of emotions and feelings, desires, expectations. And so one loud theme that we're going to talk about today that comes through David's Psalms in particular is this theme on hope. Hope. David is a man who strongly hoped, not just in something or someone, but he hoped in the Lord. And isn't that what we need every day? Don't we need hope? Can you imagine living life Without hope? And maybe some of you have. There's been seasons in your life when you had no hope. But here's the good news of what Scripture says to us. If you're a Christian, God has given you a living hope. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into what? A living hope. A living hope because this cross back here is empty. Right? There's no body on it because Jesus' body is not there. He's alive, rose from the dead. And that's what we celebrate, a living hope that God has truly included me in your family. So Audrey and Bobby, you're included in God's family. You have been given a living hope till the end of your days in this life, knowing that truly 
I'm never going to die. Yeah, my body's going to be in the ground. But where's my soul? Where am I going to be? I'm going to be with the Lord. I'm going to be with the Lord. And then someday my body's going to be reconnected with my soul. And I'm going to be living on a heaven and a new earth. That's the living hope that we have. It's a perfect place that we're going to be. No more brokenness. No more messed up world. No more sin in my own life and the sins of others. That's David's hope. And that's what he writes about. But here it is. Hope. The word hope, I think, is kind of a, a word that's kind of loosely used in today's world. As we say, we, we hope, you know, we hope every, everybody that's got a job, we're going to get a promotion. We hope that our kids are, are, are safe going to school and these days in school, right? If you watched the news last night, my, my family and I are watching about 30 minutes of this thing that happened at Trader Joe's in L.A. Did you see that? This, this, this man who was holding up a, a bunch of people there, and everybody's hoping and praying that they get out safely. And I think they arrested the man in the end. I was falling asleep, but I think that's what happened. I mean, we hope for safety. We, 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 we hope that, you know, just something simple, that the restaurant we're going to isn't crowded. We, we hope in all kinds of good weather. Uh, the list goes on and on. We hope for safe journeys, and I thank you that uh, you were praying for me. Because I'm back safe and sound, as you can see. Thank God and praise God for that. I was in Kazakhstan. And good news is I got to baptize a Kazakh Muslim girl in a Muslim home, uh, in the outside shower of, of, of their home. And I got to preach at a wedding feast. Remember we had this party series? I preached at a wedding feast with 150 Muslims present and not, no fines, no jail time, no nothing. It was awesome. Now... This message isn't about that, but I want to just give you a quick update because there's going to be more of that Kazakh things to come when I preach in, in August, I hope. But we hope for a lot of things, and then we hope in people, and we hope in earthly events, and sometimes it just doesn't work out for us, does it? Our hopes get shattered. They're broken. We hope it, this event goes this way. No, we, people let us down. I mean, I remember... It's almost as clear as day. I remember this event that happened in my life when I was 18 years old. I was just graduating high school, going into college, and in my favorite movie, almost of all time, it's, one, it's up there, it's Top Gun. Yeah, uh, it was 1980s, mid-80s, and I'm, and I'm going to school, and I'm, I go to specifically an aviation college. And I'm studying to get my private pilot's license. And I have a CFI, a certified flight instructor, is up with me in a Cessna 172. It's about my fourth time flying. And, and he says, okay, Tony, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do some S-turns, some ground maneuvers, uh, ground reference maneuvers, S-turns, some steep dives, and some stalls. I said, you're going to do what? <laughs> yeah, so just watch. And so there's a left seat and a right seat. The left seater is usually the captain, the right seat's the co-pilot. And so I'm on the right seat at this moment. And he's doing all these things that involve, you know, ascending and descending, negative Gs, climbs, angles, all that pitch, yaw, you know. So the plane's going. I got off that plane, and I felt the sickest, one of the sickest I've ever felt. I was so air motion sickness. I mean, it was, it was, it was bad. You know, it was just, just bad. And all my hopes just shattered to the ground. No more Air Force ROTC. No more Top Gun pilot. You know, it's just it's not going to happen for Tony Bowes. And I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? So my guess is for some of you in this room, you've had similar experiences. Your hopes were shattered. They were crushed. And I like the way uh, Pastor Joe said it last week. He said, wherever you place your hope, that is where 
you depend. Wherever you place your hope, that's what you depend on. So I'm going to ask you again the same question today. What do you place your hope in? What are you placing your hope in? Are you placing your hope in our country that we're going to get stronger and mightier and all that? Do you place your hope on your spouse? Do you place your hope on yourself, your good looks, your personality, your abilities? Do you place your, your hope in a, a family member, your health? What do you place your hope in? Today we're going to read a psalm of David. It's not directly attributed to David, but based on the previous psalm in Psalm 70 and, and Psalm 72, Biblical scholars say, yeah, this is probably a psalm of David. I'm going to ask you to go there, Psalm 71. It's on page 907 in the Bibles we provide. Psalm 71, we're going to read and see and listen and hear where David puts his hope. So this psalm, Psalm 71, is probably written when David is an old man. He's got gray hair, experienced all of life. His kingship is waning. And he's writing and remembering, and we're going to listen to just this hope that is still in David's song. Verse, beginning in verse 1, In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O oh my God, from the hand of the wicked from the grasp of the evil of an evil and cruel men, for you have been my what? My hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I'm going to stop there for just a minute. And can you imagine what this song sounds like? I don't, I don't know. I can't imagine. But can you imagine it being sung? So two things I want you to notice first as we, as we look at David's psalm. David, is he praising his own accomplishment? Is he, like many leaders do, you know, I've done this, I've done that, I've done whatever. Is he thanking his army or his family? No. He's acknowledging the one and only God that has been faithful to sustain him and help him throughout his life. And the second thing I want you to notice, it's in David's psalms, but it's also throughout the psalms and the scripture that there's always this connection between hope and salvation. Between hope and salvation. There's a connection. In verse 5, David says, you have been my hope. So what does David, got, got, is, what's he hoping for? What is he hoping that, that God would do for him? If you look at verses 2 and 3, it says, rescue me, deliver me, save me. You see, the Bible, it's primarily written to declare how God saves, but then that's the main point, but also all these other savings that happen in David's life, in your life, in my life, there are countless times we're saved. See, the purpose of God's word isn't necessarily to answer the questions of the universe. First, God's word isn't to answer all the challenging questions of life that we have. Even the purpose of God's word isn't primarily to tell us how to live our life. The primary purpose of God's word is to give the reason that God came in the person of Jesus Christ so that we might have a Savior and that God saved the world through him. That's really the main reason. It's to show us how how far we've fallen from God's glory. We're sinners, right? Who can raise their hand and say, I'm a sinner? All of us. That's what the Bible tells us, but at the same time, it also tells us, guess what? I provided a Savior 
for every single person in this world. In Psalm 71, verse 5, David says, I acknowledge who my hope is in. I acknowledge my hope is in the sovereign Lord. You see, when it comes to salvation, I want you to think about this. There's always two parts to salvation. Two parts. Because we're saved from something so that we can be saved to something. Saved from something to be saved to something. Think about the kind of these big time saving moments in scripture. You think of Noah and his wife and his sons and his family. They're saved from the flood and they're saved to a new world. A new earth with all the animals in the ark, right? I mean, that's a true story. They're saved from destruction through water and and then given a promise. Given a promise how? With what? A big rainbow. It's a big promise of hope. God says, I'm not going to destroy the earth by flood again. Believe and trust in that, Noah. Moses and, and the people of Israel, when they're in slavery and bondage, they're saved from Pharaoh bondage, slavery, they're saved to a new land, the promised land. The promise where from this land, the Savior's going to come from this family. That's the promise. Think about Daniel and, and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. They're saved from the fiery furnace. Are you guys with me? I, they're saved from the fiery all right, I'll tell you what they're saved. Then they're saved too. Do you know what they're saved to? What do you think? That's a harder one. They're saved to proclaim a decree. Nebuchadnezzar was in charge at the time, king of Babylon. He puts out a decree and he says, guess what? Everybody should worship the God of Daniel. They're saved from this furnace to proclaim. And guess what? You and I, we're saved from eternal punishment for the sins that we do commit on a daily basis, regularly. We're saved from that. We're saved from eternal separation from him in a place called hell. And we're saved to heaven, to live eternally. When we, when we were baptized, Audrey, Bobby, they crossed over from eternal death to life. They have eternal life now. I have eternal life now. And so do you who believe and are baptized in Jesus. Praise God for that. Amen? Saved from something. Praise Save to proclaim this good news. All right? Let's go with Psalm 71 and verse 14. Go with me to verse 14. But as for me, David writes, but as for me, I will always have what? I'll always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I'm going to stop there for just a minute and tell you a little something about musicians. It's kind of like, you ever wonder what happens with six kids at home in the, in the Bose household? What kind of conversations we have? We, we, we get, sometimes talk about people, and then we have to say, stop. You know, stop talking about that person. So we talk about Matt Kunkel. Oh, is that you, Matt? And we talk about Steve, who was here last night, Steve Davis, our worship director, and Dee Dee. They like, they like to sing these songs and have O in them. Did you notice that? The first song we had, oh, oh, the love of Jesus. Oh, 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 oh. Guess what Psalm 71 does? Seven times it has O in it, at least, 
Oh, so how are they singing O's back then? And Matt, how are you? So we know how Matt sings O's uh, in, in, in worship here. Oh, sovereign Lord, he says, we say, I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me. What? Oh, God, you want to sing it there? I don't know how it's sung. Oh, God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come, your righteousness reaches to the skies. Oh, Oh, God, thank you, Tim. I knew I could count on you. You who have done great things, who, oh, God, is like you. Though you have made me see troubles many and bitter, listen to the hope he has. You will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. As a Christian, do you have that hope? We all do as Christians. He's going to restore my life again from out of the depths of the grave. He's going to do that. You will increase my honor. Comfort me once again. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness. What? Oh, my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre. Oh, holy one of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. I whom you have redeemed. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts. Righteous acts. All those saving acts of God all day long. For those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. And that's what we can promise. That, that's God's promise. That all this messed up world. I mean, it, it's going to be put to shame. It's, it's going to be thrown into confusion. But not for us as Christians. David was a man filled with hope. And you might ask, man, I want what he has. Right? How does he get that hope? Where does it come from? First, we learned it's given to Christians. It's given. But secondly, he hones it. He perfects it. He writes songs and music to honor God. And years later, we get to to watch. And we get to sharpen our own hope by worshiping God, by coming to church, by sitting in these seats and praising God through the Psalms. Some of them written by David. He worships. Did you notice verse 14? I'll always have hope. He looks back on his life and he remembers all the saving acts of God. And he can say, I'll always have hope. And he writes music and songs to honor God for it. Did David have a life that was full? Oh. Did he have mountaintop experiences? Did he have valleys? He had all of it, right? Slays giants, becomes king of Israel, establishes Jerusalem. To this day, we have the walls of Jerusalem still standing. I mean, that's David. And yet, he commits adultery. And he has a man killed. All this stuff, and yet God uses him. He says in in verse 20, look at it, verse 20, how God has made him see many bitter things. Troubles. I'm sure none of you in this room can relate to that. Or can you? Because here's the question. It's up on the screen. What has been the most difficult time of your life up to this point? Now, it might bring some bad memories to you. For me, I can think of several. I can think of in my young married life for a few years how we were infertile. Crying and praying through that. Hoping in God. I looked at my 18-year-old son who was just here in the last service. And any time he goes away from uh, the family, he's got two EpiPens, life-threatening food allergies. Every time my wife and I are thinking, what's in it? Well, can he eat this? Can he not eat this? Every time you step into a restaurant, cross-contamination, something can go bad. Yet God has sustained his life to this point. Praise God. I can think of, as a young kid, 21 years old, tell my mom and dad, you know what? 
I'm leaving the church of my youth and I'm going a different direction. Tough to do. I can think of becoming a pastor and saying goodbye, moving from St. Louis to here, Detroit, 10, 11 years now, to have a church home with all of you. Awesome, but difficult. What has been the most difficult times of your life so far? And then a follow-up question to that. How has God been present in the midst of those times? What scripture verses got you through when you lose the love of your life to death, the last enemy? When you know a child's turning away from God and going down a wrong road, when your marriage is on the brink, when you lost your job, when you're diagnosed with a life-ending diagnosis, whatever it is, what Bible verses got you through? David's psalms, his songs, run through a full gamut of emotions and feelings, and you can read about them. And so I put an insert in your, in your message out, and I want you to pull that out for just a minute. Um, and I want you to look. Here in, 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 uh, if you notice your message outline, too, if you have that there. And by the way, uh, question number two on my reflection questions, I have no idea who Gohad is. I'm sorry, just, I'm, I'm a failure, okay? That is a bad question. Somehow I got a wedding party question mixed with this. I have no idea what it is. So you know what? On that message outline number two, think of your own question this week. But then you see the scripture readings for the week, and then you see this. This is what I want you to do. Get uh, sometime during the week, whatever your emotion is, look through this on the left side. And on the right side, it tells you the Psalms, and it tells you where you can go. And what I'd like for you to do is just, when you pray, speak, God, speak God's words back to God. And then maybe write a journal, maybe something blank page. Say, how is God speaking to you? So that's why I've, I've put that together uh, for you. And it just gives, see, what the Psalms do and really what all of Scripture does, it helps center and frame our faith. It helps us to say, I'm going to cry out to you because I feel hopeless right now, God. This situation I'm in right now, I don't get it. I don't like it, and I don't like, frankly, what you're doing right now. But where else can I go? Who else can I turn to? That's what David's psalms do in the end. But then in the end, I put my trust in you. So let's talk a little bit about hope and trust, or hope really. Where are we hoping? What are we hoping God? What are we hoping God would do in our lives specifically? So as Christians, we don't have to think this. You know what? Am I really going to go to heaven? I wish I'm going to go there. No, we have a sure and certain hope that we will. In my Father's house, there are what? Many rooms, and God makes a promise, I'm going to come back. Jesus makes that promise. Does he go back on his promises? No, he keeps them. You know, as Christians, we don't have to think, I wish God was with me right now. I mean, I don't feel your presence, God. No, he promises in some mysterious way when two or more are gathered, and even when two or more are not gathered, Jesus is with you. That's his promise to the very end of the age. You don't have to say as Christians, you know, I wish God's word were true because I just don't know if if they are. No, the Psalms recorded all throughout scriptures, the words of the Bible are true, true, true. They're trustworthy, they're eternal, and they're right. And so we're given them as Christians to read. As Christians, we don't have to think, you know what, I wish I could, I wish everything would just work out in the end. No. We know that in some things, God will work. No. Is it some things? 
in all things. God works for those who he's called, who he's chosen in baptism. He works in all things. You know, as Christians, we don't have to think, man, I wish God could forgive this one sin. Or is he, can, he, can he really forgive this sin? I just don't know. No. How many sins is he going to forgive? All sins. No matter if you repeat them, repeat them day after day, and you say, God, have mercy. Or if there's this one sin, it just doesn't matter. He, you confess and say, God, I'm sorry. Why don't you do that right now? Just say, God, I'm sorry. And guess what happens? The promise is you're forgiven. All sins. As Christians, we don't have to think, I wish God would make everything right again. Because it's just a messed up, sinful, broken world. I'm broken. You're broken. What's God's promise? I'm making everything new. All things new. That's why Jesus came, to give that promise and say, you know what? Everything's going to be restored. That's my promise. It's trustworthy. It's true. As Christians, you don't have to think, I wish I'll be able to see my loved ones again. No. We have a sure and certain hope that this is what's going to happen. God's going to bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. That's the promise. You know what heaven's going to be? One big happy reunion. That's what it's going to be. For those who die in faith, who are Christians, it's going to be one big happy reunion. And let me ask you this. Do we have an incredible God to hope in? Amen. We do. We read his word. We center and frame our faith on the Psalms and all of God's words. It gives us a way to express our emotions, our desire to say, Jesus, you are the hope of the world. There's no one else. You have the words of eternal life. And so we don't have to to put our hope in, in my spouse, as lovely as she is. I put my hope in the Lord. Not my family, not my job as a pastor. If I don't, if I'm not a pastor anymore, I don't care. I'll be a pro soccer player. No, those days are over too. <laughs> Go back to learn how to be a pilot? No. There's truck driving school. Oh, wait, that's a, that's a Tom Cruise, uh, by the way, Top Gun comment. Right? Somebody say right because they know Top Gun, all the words. Line. Thank you! <laughs> when we sing songs at church, when we sing David's psalms, this is how he honed and perfected his faith. The truth of God's word. That no matter the situation, no matter the situation, God's going to get us through. And so that's why I say in in closing these three things about hope-saturated songs, they give three things to us. Pastors love to say three things. You know, they they give comfort, they give confidence, and they give joy. Comfort, confidence, joy. Comfort meaning, you know what? We're all going to go through seasons of hopelessness. We're all going to go through times of struggle. We all do. Is that a fact? That's a fact. And at these times, we can remember, and what these songs help us remember, they're only going to last for a season. They're only going to last for a season. God is going to deliver us. Whatever we're hoping for, even if it doesn't come to pass on this earth, guess what? We're fully going to be healed. We're fully going to be restored because that's the promise that we have in our baptism, that God gives us that spirit His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are his children, the Bible says. And it gives comfort to us when we sing these songs. It gives confidence to us. I don't know about you, but when I'm sitting in those seats with my family worshiping, God, you're a good, good father. Oh, the love of Jesus. All these things. And then I see other people singing it too. And I know your life situation. 
the struggles you guys have, the same struggles that I have. Yet we sing in church, we come regularly to the church. Guess what? Our confidence grows because we're here proclaiming God's promises, singing God's promises together. That's what the Psalms do. That's what songs do. They give joy. Romans chapter 12, verse 12 says, be joyful in hope. Do you know anyone who exudes joyful hope? I live with one. She's the one I said was, was pretty, you know, the blonde, blue-eyed girl over here. I live with one, eternally optimistic and hopeful. And I say, honey, I'm a realist. Not negative, I'm just telling you. She says, honey, who's in control? You know, see, the opposite of this joyful hope, you know what the opposite is? It's hopelessness. And hopelessness sucks the joy out of your life, doesn't it? You might be in that time right now where where you have that hopelessness or where you know somebody's thinking, you know what, I'm just waiting for tomorrow. But really, when you're waiting for tomorrow, you know tomorrow's just gonna be the same. That you have no hope. And that's a hard place to be. I have good news for you. This Jesus that we believe in who's alive gives us a living hope. He's defeated sin, death, and the devil. And he promises that he's with you now. And guess what? Forever. That's right. Forever. Amen? So here's what. In short, life, life without Jesus is going to, or life with Jesus is really this, this endless hope that, get, that you have. But life without him, it's a hopeless end, isn't it? Now, if I say this, I still want you to come back in August when I preach because I'm going to be talking about that last part, hopeless end. Ooh, that's, man. Well, I'm preaching about hope today, okay? So just come back because we're, we're talking about the shocking statements of Jesus. And part of that, he does talk about hell. So I just want to prep you for that in August. And there's all kinds of other things that we're going to talk about, the shocking statements. But in the end, each one of our pastors up here preaching to you, they should be preaching hope. And they do. Hope in Jesus alone who saves. Amen? We're going to sing about that living hope. Why don't you stand up, sing with us living hope.